Amen. All right. Let's uh, let's do. All right. Let's uh, let's get started. Um, yeah. So uh, as I mentioned earlier, uh, it's it's a great privilege. Um, uh, it's great to see one another. Um, a couple of weeks back, um, we've been working through the the concept of community. And in that, uh, we've identified a couple of things. And um, I think it's such an important thing. It's almost like, um, it almost like it feels like it needs to be our theme for the year. I think it may be our theme for the year. Um, the reason this is so important, um, I think we've learned the sort of individualistic aspect of our work with God. And I think we have been taught quite well on that. But in recent weeks and months, we have learned that it is actually, this is meant to be lived as a community. So that's why we sort of, we do other things and then we drift back to the topic of community. And um, I'm sure we've all heard at some point people saying, my relationship or my work with God is private. You know, um, it's, um, it's personal. And while I think there's an aspect of that uh, but I think its intention is for us to do it together. So I think the reason about 3,000 people were baptized in one day, it was because this is not so much a private thing, more than it is a family thing. I think the whole Judean countryside, John chapter, I mean Mark 1.5 actually tells us, they, they went to John the Baptist uh, to, to hear him preach the message um, by the Jordan River. And, and people were, were, were giving their lives to Christ and uh, it was not so much a private thing. And Jesus walked, lived, taught uh, a bunch of people over time, healing others along the way, all because this is meant to be a we thing rather than a me thing. So uh, we, uh, Dean and myself, uh, we will be sort of sharing with you over the next few weeks, it's just gonna be three weeks, so uh, don't stress too much on uh, Jesus and we, you know, still within the theme of community, but Jesus and we rather than Jesus and I, while there is that, but it's Jesus. Uh, this is um, a resource made available freely. I think we need to acknowledge the people that uh, help us with the tools that we need by the Life Church um, under Craig Rochelle, the guy that preaches uh, or is the evangelist slash preacher. So what are we talking about today in the context of family? Uh, let me start maybe by saying since, was it late last year when we started the midweeks to pray? I remember very clearly that this year it was, was we kind of went for it 100%. Uh, so there's been a core number of people that attend midweeks, you know, as regularly as they can, and we are praying. One of the things we've been praying about is that God can show us or should show us where to go from here. We came from a very difficult time, and I think we are still uh, sort of dealing with some of those things. You know, we've lost some of our friends, and the church shrunk, and uh, we went to show God what's happening. Where are we going? Are, you know, are you with us still? And as a, as a means of opening ourselves up to God, um, we, we, we opted to pray collectively. 
which I really believe is more powerful than individual prayers. And we've been talking about a number of things. We've been talking about, we, we talked about Koinonia, uh, this community. We talked about, um, we talked about living life together, intentionally reaching out to each other. And some of our brothers and sisters who are currently limping at the moment, you know? Um, they are struggling to bring themselves to the meetings of the body uh, for, for many reasons, you know, and it's some, some, some of them are, are circumstances that are sort of, you can appreciate, you know, as a person, that people go through different things. Uh, maybe some of us, it is uh, a question of, is Jesus still Lord, really, you know? Uh, is he still the king or have I become king or queen of my life, you know? Uh, is he the Messiah, etc., and all of these things. So for those reasons, we committed to praying together that God will carry us and that he will show us how we should move. So without further ado, let's start uh, a scripture that, all of the scriptures today, are, in fact, are scriptures that are very well known amongst us as a group. Hebrews chapter 11, um, I'm going to read in a version that I know Dean will know immediately, just by how it reads. Um, and it so happens to be my favorite, so he knows that too. So Hebrews 11 verse 1, it says, Now faith is the assurance. It's a title deed and a confirmation of things hoped for, for um, or things hoped for, divinely guaranteed, and the evidence of things not seen. The reality of these things can be only comprehended, is that the word? Comprehended as fact, not as things that we experience physically. Let me read that again instead of trying to paraphrase it. Now faith is the assurance, a title deed, a confirmation of things hopeful, divinely guaranteed, and the evidence of things not seen the conviction of their reality. Faith comprehends as fact what we cannot experience physically. This is such a, this is such a powerful reminder um, of what faith is. And um, different versions read it differently. I love this one, this is amplified, it kind of adds it. Um, for you know, every time I read this in different versions, you know, my mind is always boggled. Uh, for people that do own homes or have owned homes, you know, you understand what a title deed is. It is a piece of document that says that this property belongs to this person. So I find this incredibly um, yeah, in, in, incredibly mind-blowing. Because, because I don't often think of it in these terms. You know, I think of it, you know, think of faith in terms of okay, placing my trust in God. And, but the Bible reads it, it is an assurance, a title deed. It's, 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 it's like a guarantee of things that I hope for. I think this is where sometimes I lose it. You know, it's what I hope for. Let's make an example, maybe. Let's say, uh, without maybe being too insensitive, yeah. Let's say you wake up on one Sunday morning in June. You have just a couple of hundred bucks to your name. 
and they are definitely not going to carry you through to the month of June. And you're wondering, how am I going to make it to the end of the month? And um, you hope to make it to the end of the month. That's what you hope for, right? And, and, and um, now you're thinking, what is this going to take? For me personally, this is where I start going into sort of problem-solving mode. And I start, I start to think, okay, what, 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 what do I need to do? What do I not do? Uh, what can I do with or without? And all of those things. I, I don't immediately feel that God has got it. I feel like I need to work to make sure that it happens. And sometimes we need to step out, as we will see, as we will look at a number of other scriptures. We do need to step out. And again, please, uh, if, if maybe this is too close home, trust me, I'm on the same boat. I'm not trying to be insensitive here. But what I'm trying to say is how we see this and how we experience this is it as the scripture describes. You hope to be financially okay just till the end of the month. You know, God takes care of the rest. We try not to worry farther, too far down the line. It, do I have an assurance of that? How much I worry will tell me whether I do have an assurance or not. How much I stress about it will tell me. So, yeah, and, and, and we start to think, okay, I mean, Maybe I speak, need to speak to the wife to see if there's anything that she's got. Or maybe I need to speak to a friend. I need to speak to a colleague. And sometimes we hesitate because we're worried about our, you know, we don't want to lose our dignity to people that we care about, you know. Uh, we don't want to be always seeming like we're in need uh, or we need to be rescued, etc. We worry a little bit about our image, you know. We consider carefully who do we talk to. Who do we present our, our circumstances to and what they can do about it? So, and I mean, sure, I mean, I understand. I mean, you can't just go around blurting out your, your, your challenges in life. But sometimes within the family, we, we, need to, we need to be a little bit more vulnerable with one another. We need to be a little bit more trusting. And sometimes it doesn't mean that when somebody shares their challenges that you have a solution. And I know because we mean well, we start to immediately feel, oh my goodness, what can I do, you know? And we go into this state. So what is the book of Hebrews, or this verse in Hebrews telling us? It's telling us, perhaps instead of being busy, worried about how we're gonna look, or our image and other things, we put ourselves out in order for God to work and understand that sometimes this is not something we can touch, taste, smell, and feel. So again, I ask the question, I, I'm wondering if this scripture boggles your mind as much as it does. As I'm talking to you guys about it, I'm, I'm not even sure if I'm connecting 100% with what it's saying. Um, so why am I bringing all of this up? Um, there are two times in the Bible where Jesus is recordedly or reportedly amazed. And uh, again, as I said, it's scriptures that we know of, uh, Mark chapter 6, verses 5 and 6. Um, 
it reads as follows, so I'm already there. Uh, it says, he could not do any miracles there, except obviously this is Jesus' hometown. He could not do any miracles there except lay hands on a few sick people and heal them. He was amazed at their lack of faith. Now, this is not necessarily a very positive thing, you know, that led to Jesus being amazed. And, and the issue here is, obviously, he's, he's, he's in his hometown. I mean, Jesus' first miracle at the wedding, he changes water into wine. And those people that were privy to what happened then were blown away. They were told to just fill these um, uh, cans or these sort of clays of jar with water. And then Jesus tells them, scoop and go give to the master of the ceremony to taste. And you know, the guy is blown away. He's like, where has this been? So Jesus was a miracle worker. He was somebody who was performing miracles. And he had healed people in various ways. But in his, own, in his hometown, the only thing he could do was lay hands on people. So I, got, I was thinking, what could have been happening with these people that they could not see Jesus for who he is? And the problem is this. I sort of uh, speculated. You know, some of us grew up in front of people, right, in communities where we lived, and, and sometimes some of these people never really get past the fact that we have grown up. We have become grown-ups. And uh, they always see us from when we were kids. They remember us for some of the stories and events that took place when we were younger. And they can't see. So I don't know if this was an issue here. Uh, obviously, the scriptures don't record stuff that's really not, um, that's not critical or important. So, I mean, we remember the story of Jesus moving to, or they went to Jerusalem, uh, as it was the Jewish custom to do uh, at a certain time of the year. And as the family was making their way back, Jesus is not there, you know, what is that look? What does that look like in the community? It's like, where is this child? Ah, this child of Joseph's is so naughty, you know. And you know, you know those aunties that are, you know, Mary should really whip him when he finds him, when she finds him, you know, that sort of thing. So this is the same Jesus that now these people of his town are being told that he performs miracles. It's like, son of Joseph, that one, you know, that one that got up to a couple of you no. Know, situations now and so I'm just speculating what is it that prevented these people from seeing Jesus for who he was I don't know I don't have the answers the fact is Jesus was amazed at the lack of faith so that is an incredible thing for 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 God himself to be amazed at let's look at another one where Jesus is recordedly or is reportedly amazed and Luckily here, it's not for a bad reason. So in Matthew 8, chapter 5, 13, I'll read quickly. It says, when Jesus had entered Capernaum, don't know how to pronounce that properly, a centurion came to him asking for help. Lord, he said, my servant lies at home paralyzed, suffering terribly. Jesus said to him, shall I come and heal him? The centurion replied, Lord, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go, and he goes, and I tell that one, come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed 
Then he said to, the, to those following him, Truly I tell you, I have not found anyone in Israel with such faith. Obviously this is, this is an incredible thing. I've, at first I didn't quite, uh, not just now, but initially I could never really understand, um, I don't know whether the language was a problem here, I could never understand what the centurion being a man under authority had to do with this. And as I've learned and as I've sort of studied, I've come to a sort of conclusion, obviously learning from Bible scholars uh, that have studied this thing in Greek, is that the centurion understood Jesus, Jesus as a person and the authority that he held rather than understood him for his capabilities. So that's why for him he said, I am not worthy of you to come to my home. You are, you, are, you are too awesome or whatever was going on in his mind, but he saw Jesus for who he is. He said, Lord, I am not worthy. Just say the word, I know it will be done. So this is, this is a pretty, pretty amazing thing for, for, for a number of reasons. Jesus hasn't stopped being who he is. Do we, though, see him differently? Okay, there's a time and a distance thing here for us. Jesus was on earth some 2,000 years ago. I don't know if this number ever changes. It's been 20 years. It's always been 2,000 years. And it's just, it just doesn't seem to move, eh? When I was baptized, I was told, yeah, Jesus came and died 2,000 years ago. It's 2023. It's still 2,000 years ago, so I'm not too sure. Somebody needs to... Somebody needs to do the maths there and just update us. Maybe it's 2020 years. I don't know. I don't want to jump into that. But um, he hasn't changed. We may have. Times have changed, obviously, for us. You know, history and all kinds of things happen. But he hasn't changed. He is still the same man that is blown away. So... I want to sort of tie this up a little bit with our dream, I want to say, our vision as a family. We want to see God revive this family. There's even a revive group within the church where we want to, we know what God can do. We are reading about it, we see it, we know what God, but we want that for our family, we want that for our community. So. What is it that we need to do in order for this to happen? We need to remember Jesus for who he is. We need to remember the authority that he carries. So how is this going to change the things that we hope for? For example, one of the things we're praying about is that maybe... God will send somebody here who is actually an appointed evangelist or, you know, one of those things. Somebody that can be on campus and be with the campus and teach and lead and preach and do what the, the work of the Lord that needs to be done on campus. We need somebody that can focus on the marriage in the family. We, we need, we, there are different needs and those are the things that we're praying about. Those, that's what we want, because we know that's what will help us to become healthier as a family. 
it's difficult for a very few people to have all of these responsibilities. It's, in fact, impossible. So that's why we are praying, God, because we want this family to be one of the places where God does his work of healing, where he does his work of calling people out of darkness into his light. And we get to be privileged enough to walk with people in those journeys. We, got, we get to witness the miracles that Jesus is performing in these people's lives and in our own lives. So, so it becomes, again, very important that we, we, we are called to a, a faith that cannot, if it doesn't show, we have to ask if it's there. That's really, that's really, that's something that's really on my heart. Church, my hope and prayer today was that we have a conversation that leaves us encouraged about what God's word says to us. But the Bible is written in such a way that as much as it encourages, it also challenges us. I don't want to heap us with guilt. I don't want to heap us with shame. I don't want to heap us. We're a small group. But we've got big dreams. We've got big hopes for this family. We want to see God move in this family. And things may not happen just like that. You know, it's going to take work. But it needs for us as a family to live out this faith, to hold on to Jesus as the king who has the authority to make these things happen and to transform us into the people that we need to be in order for these things to happen. Uh, if we look at just the two examples up at the top here, you know, what must have the centurion thought approaching Jesus? You know, was he maybe worried about what people are going to say? Because I'm not hearing that he, in fact, I think he was a Roman. I don't, I'm not hearing that he was a, as somebody who followed Jesus or he was a Christian or some other religion. But somehow he believed in him, he believed in who he was. Not only did he believe in who he is, he believed that if he said this, it would be done. So for us to grow as a community, we have to believe that Jesus, scriptures tells us that he wills it. Therefore, it can happen. But where is our role, where is our centurion role in that? Do I sit and just wait for God to, to do it? Somebody needs to step out. We all need to step out in some other way. In Matthew chapter 17, I think we know this one also very well. Jesus replied, because you have so little faith, truly I tell you, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. So, so I googled the mustard seed, as you imagine, and I don't know whether it's, it's an exaggeration, but all of the pictures that I could see there, sure, it's just this tiny little thing, eh? like literally, like that. Tiny little round, it comes in different colors, the ones that I saw. So the significance of it is 
Big faith, obviously, is not, the Bible doesn't object to big faith, but it says start with the small faith. You can do big things with a small faith. So we need to actually inquire how big our faith is, or more in line with the scripture, how small our faith is. Um, as a community. If now, maybe let's just have a little bit, maybe this got too serious than what I'd hoped it would. If we were to rank ourselves as a community, between one and ten, I can't say zero because zero, I don't think we would be here if it was zero faith. <laughs> maybe it might be, I don't know. But let's start at one, let's be gracious and say let's start at one, one to ten. Okay, one being very, very small, ten maybe, mustard seed size, I don't know, or maybe bigger. Can I, can I take a few hands just to say where would you place us as a community in our faith? Not individually, don't look at it as a, your own, where you are and what's happening currently with you. Because I know sometimes we answer these questions with those lenses in, in, yeah, in, in the context of where we feel we are personally. But just as a community, just take a, take a leap of faith and, take, and, and throw a number. Brave man, eh? Hey? Seven. Awesome. Yeah, that's very encouraging. It's very encouraging. Masins? Still thinking. 6.2. Still quite very good. A three, Kate says. Okay. All right. No, remember, we're just giving our own perspective of it. Okay. There's, I know these are not necessarily very spiritual means to measure these things, but just because the reason I'm asking the question, I believe that sometimes it affects or it influences how we see the family as well, how we see the community. So it's sometimes good to say it out loud, to hear ourselves say it, instead of having a sense about it. And we can never really show whether it's just us or maybe it's just how we see things or maybe a little experience we've had. Is this something that we're all getting a sense? But it's, it's quite spread out, I mean, from eight down to three. So the point is that there is room to grow in our faith and that is going to look different for all of us um, but the bottom line is we want to amaze Jesus with our faith and I'm not sure what it'll be for each and every one of us uh, because we walk um, uh, we walk based on yeah there's quite a number of variances between us here so but the, the objective is the same, the root is not going to be the same. So let's, let's grow in that, let's grow in our faith. Um, as I sort of come to a close, uh, I'm just going to read a couple of scriptures for us, um, and then I will sort of summarize this. Luke chapter 8, verse 43, it's um, the lady that had the, the bleeding issue. 43 says, and a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years, but um, no one could help her. She came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak and immediately her bleeding stopped. So I think I, this is one of the scriptures that I did not understand quite correctly. I didn't understand what this bleeding was about. And I think it was also 
maybe explained incorrectly. So this is, this is what in medical terms it would be referred to as hemorrhaging. And basically you're, you're bleeding through your blood vest, I mean your, your veins basically that have popped. So that could be really anywhere. Um, but that's what she was struggling with. She had spent all of her money. She had gone to just about anybody that she could uh, gain access to. And uh, there was still no help. And she realized who Jesus was. And for me, what really impresses me, she didn't ask for Jesus to lay hands on her. She didn't ask for some other things. She just knew if I could touch his robe, I will be healed. Man, that, that takes faith to believe that somebody believes that. You know, but I, I don't know what takes somebody to that place, but she was at that place where she just knew. I don't know whether it was the fact that she had exhausted everything. Maybe it might be. I don't know. She felt like, okay, Jesus, you're it. If you don't work out, then I guess my life might be shortened by this illness. So I don't know, but she trusted. She trusted. And then in Hebrews 11, what does not having faith do? And without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists, that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. We cannot please God without faith. One of the things that we want to do, we want to be a God-pleasing family. So it becomes critical for us that we grow our faith together. As we do individually, please uh, don't... Um, I'm not encouraging or advocating for you cease all individual prayers up until we, we are congregated together to pray. We continue to pray and as we walk with God in our personal capacity. But this is, so I guess what I'm saying is, let us not miss out on opportunities where we are gathered together to pray. Because I really believe God moves a whole lot more when we pray together than when we do individual. Not that he doesn't when we do individually. Please hear me, that, uh, hear me on that as well. So Matthew chapter 14, uh, 25, 33. This is one of my favorites, actually. Uh, I, I, I think Peter is just one of the crazy disciples or apostles that Jesus had. Uh, this is what it says from 25 down to 33, 31. So shortly before, uh, before dawn, this is like some long hours of work here. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage, it is I. Do not be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on, on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came towards Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said, why did you doubt? I've always been amazed by Peter. Uh, firstly, just his, uh, his, his courage, I guess, uh, to say, okay, Lord, you... you if it's you, tell me to come to you. And Jesus obliges him. He says, no, come. And actually for a little while there he walks 
um, and I don't know how far he got before. And then it says he saw the wind. I'm not sure what the significance is here. You know, you feel the wind. Uh, but anyway, he saw the wind, or maybe just the waves got a little bit too rough, and he thought, uh-oh, maybe I made a mistake. And the, the thing here, I used to be a little bit, uh, I used to be a bit of a critic towards Peter. I used to think, dude, what, what were you thinking? You know, why did you even, you know? Um, but here's a, here's a really interesting thing. There were 11 other men on the boat that did not step out. Peter was the only one. So what does this mean then? Do we need to be guaranteed success in order for us to step out in faith? Absolutely not. I don't think so. Jesus told him, come. Somehow something happened within Peter's side now. I don't think this was on Jesus' side. On Peter's side, something happened where he started to lose faith and then he started to sink or to go down. So we should be careful to want guarantees that God, if I put my faith in you on this issue, I want you to guarantee me. I hope I'm not contradicting myself here because the scripture says that it is guaranteed but maybe we need to ask who is guaranteeing because we will need to put our faith and trust in the one who guarantees. But do we now need the guarantee to feel it, to sense it, to, you know, to just feel it in our bones before we step out in that faith? I don't believe so. So what I'm seeing here is that sometimes we will may have to find ourselves acting foolish the Bible says God doesn't bless foolishness. Let me rephrase and say, we may have to be okay with looking foolish. Let me not say, yeah. We may need to be okay with looking foolish in faith rather than want to hold on to a good image or good whatever and not have the faith. In conclusion, there is no faith where there are guarantees. If I have 20 rands here for a loaf of bread for later today, I'm a lot more faithful that I will have something to eat. It's another story when I don't have anything. Depending on where you are on the walk, it might be, maybe for some of us, that actually that's the very thing that makes you actually believe that, okay, God, I don't know where it's going to come from, but I need it. But um, for some of us, like myself, I do better in my faith with the 20 bucks, knowing that, okay, eh, we'll survive today. Obviously, that's not faith. Obviously, that's not faith at all if I need that guarantee of that 20 bucks in my back pocket. So if we are going to step towards our destiny as a church, we're gonna to have to step away from our security. So whatever that is, whatever it is that we place the security in, if we are going to be used by God as a community where people come and and feel at home and be healed and experience God and walk with God and experience friendship, 
uh, deep, intimate, close friendships in, in the community as we walk with God, we're going to have to step away from the little securities that we place for ourselves. Again, as I said, it may look differently for all of us, but the objective is the same. So those are the few words. I hope it makes sense. It, I felt like God was still teaching me as I'm standing here in front of you um, on, on this issue. I've been grappling with this for like three weeks. And because I know it's not a new topic, it's not something that we've never heard of, but I, I, my hope, my prayer was that it is something that we walk out of here with and with a sense of what do I need to reassess here? What, in, my, in, my, in my walk with God, in the context of the family, what is it that needs to happen? Again, I want to be careful that I don't place these things in our own abilities, in our own efforts, but I also don't want to divorce those things in the work that God is doing because God works through people. So it's not going to happen over there while I'm sitting here in the comfort of my home or whatever. It's going to need my involvement somehow. So I wanted us to just take that. What is this going to look like? And while it is awesome that God sends us trained people to help us with various things, because one of the, one of the challenges we have is is we, we've got a lot of needs as a family and we don't have a lot of capacity to take care of those needs. Often our church is, is, is under a lot of stress because of that. And, and, and sometimes we feel gaps on the basis of the need rather than being fully equipped to be able to do that. But I want to say that to say we must be careful not to look too outside that we forget that God can work through here, that we are as usable to God as anyone else, that we don't put our hopes in the ones that will come while we sit. So with those few words, um, that brings us to the closing. I think we're going to have a song and then I'll come pray for the communion and that will be it. Amen. Thank you, family.